Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. If country borders and grids can fascinate you and state names intrigue you, if atlases, globes, city plans, subway maps, and of course, world maps are your thing, if you can name the capital city of Namibia, and if you get giddy about flags, you are in the right place. This is Map Corner, a podcast about the love of maps brought to you by Royfield Brown and Claire Asprey. Now on with the show. This is Map Corner. I'm Royfield Brown, who is back in Oakland. So I'm 37.8444 minutes north and 122.2711 minutes west. So I'm in Oakland, California. And as always, I'm joined by my podcast. Are you my podcasting second wife? Because I'm feeling all somewhat peculiar about this because I, I feel slightly wrong, Claire, but I need a way of talking about you which doesn't make me blush and you wince so how do i uh, introduce you uh podcasting partner would be fine that seems pretty that generic but doesn't belie the esteem that i hold you for it's claire asprey and uh and you're uh, you know i'm not gonna ask you where you are because i know you're in you're in boring old luton luton town fc are doing really well this year they Congrats. are although i'm not in boring old luton because that's where i work but ah. I do live in Boring Old Bedford, if that helps. There you go. <laughs> Alliteration abounds. Boring Bedford. But you're about to go on holiday. Are we going to have a field report, uh, an audio post? Oh, I do hope so. Where, where are you heading to? So I will be at uh, minus 31.92 north and 166.08, whatever the other one is, east. So that's sort of on the edge of Perth, Australia. Staying at my Uncle Jim's house with Jim and Carol. We'll be expecting a blockbuster of an audio postcard. And we did say on Facebook, uh, dear listener, that uh, the the audio postcards are not just my preserve. This is our podcast, not just mine and Claire's. So if you have a favourite place, why don't you go on to mapcorner.space and leave us an, an audio postcard. Tell us about the town that you live in or maybe somewhere you've been on holiday or somewhere that you just like to go and tell us why it's special and unique so it's mapcorner.space hit the speak pipe button and give us your audio postcard because this is map corner the podcast dedicated to the love of maps and all things cartophilic 
So if Peter's is your prediction, this is place where you should be. Now today, we're just having a bit of a free-for-all. We're just talking about any old shit to do with maps because this is our schnizzle. Before we get on with the show, don't forget to review us on Apple iTunes and we will give you a roll call in the next episode. We have had a few more since last week, uh, but it's really important to, especially with a new podcast, to get it up those iTunes charts and get more visibility. So go on to Apple iTunes or a podcatcher of your choice and write us a review. Now, Claire, um, we have... <coughs> oh, sorry, I have a coughing fit. Good heavens. Sorry, bear with me. I'll have a coughing fit and then we can carry on. <coughs> uh, I've been holding that in for about three minutes. <laughs> it sounds kind of pretty fatal. Uh, are you going to make it through the show, Claire? <laughs> Yeah, I'll be fine. I'm just coming out, coming out of a cold, so uh, I don't sound as stuffy. Um, I don't know, I, but I have developed. Claire, a cough. I don't know about coming out of a cold. I think you're still in the midst of it. But before you expire, <laughs> why don't you tell us all about the calls that we have on this week's show? Okay, so Rochford, on this week's show, we have got calls from Cynthia Thirty Five, who has a, a question of technicalities in relation to how we count the countries we have been to. Uh, Mary Not Contrary is interested in topography with some very interesting mm. things to say about uh, Canadian trails. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kerry Davis, who we know in another life, um, who has an answer to Barb's question about six-figure uh, ordnance survey references, which is um, fantastic because uh, I have failed to badger my dad into doing that on the speak mm-hmm. which he did explain it to me, but I didn't want to have to pass it on secondhand. Um, and also we have an answer to a previous question which was one that Alison left a, a few weeks ago around paper maps. Remember, folks, as I said before, not just Claire and I's podcast, it's our podcast. So if you've got any questions or queries or just something you'd like to share, go on to mapcorner.space and leave us a message via SpeakPipe. First off, it's a, an interview with Patrick McGranahan, who is um, a pornographer of sorts. Um, where are you with pornography, Claire? Well, I'm not particularly a consumer myself. Um, and I guess because I have a preteen daughter, mm-hmm. I do my best to make sure that not much of it gets into the house by way of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the word porn in and of itself, in the modern parlance, doesn't mean naked bodies doing all sorts to each other and stuff and the exploitation of women. It also means just a love of something, an in-depth, head-over-heels love of something. So Patrick um, is the head supremo of a subreddit a thing and, and a dark but wonderful place in the internet where he is the master of all his surveys to do with maps. So this is my interview with Patrick McGranahan about his subreddit. Patrick, map porn. With a title like that, I don't have to be worried. It is something I can show my mother, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh... It's, it was difficult telling my grandma the first time about my little uh, website. I think it's kind of self-explanatory. It's not actually porn. It's just uh, beautiful and fascinating maps that are fun to look at. It's wholesome, or at least I try to keep it wholesome. <laughs> but with a name like map porn, obviously it's the whole cornucopia, the whole smorgasbord of maps. But has it actually worried a few people before? You know, let's take my mother and my grandmother, put them to one side and whatever. Have people said, oh, I don't think I, c- I can do this because it has the P word attached to it? Every once in a while, someone will tell me that they can't follow 
uh, either my Twitter or the subreddit because of the name. That's unfortunate. Um, and that's, I think at this point it's, uh, it's its own brand now and yeah. it's, I can't go back now. So it is what it is. It's baked in. So for the uninitiated and up until, I don't know, a couple of months ago, I was definitely one of those. What exactly is map porn? Map porn started as a subreddit. What is Reddit than a subreddit? Go. Okay, Reddit is an online uh, social media forum. Uh, mm-hmm. It's founded, gosh, I think 2007, 2006. It's a forum with many, many different uh, topics. You can create your own subreddit, which is it's kind of a dedicated forum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for any kind of hobby, any kind of niche topic, there's probably a subreddit for it. And there's a conversations and content that's pretty usually pretty fresh. So everything from knitting to cat photos to to beautiful maps, there's a subreddit for it. That's kind of what the idea of Reddit is. It's a place for people to connect and discuss ideas. But you're just not some like regular Reddit user, are you? You're kind of like some kind of king, emperor, president, governor of the <laughs> subreddit. So um, how exactly did you fall into, okay, let's take it as read, that sensible, good-looking, handsome, uh, beautiful people all over the world like maps. So I'm not going to ask you why <laughs> did you get into maps, but you know, why and how did you decide that, you know what, I need to take over this little bit of Reddit you know, and, and rule that? <laughs> I'm not quite the king or the the emperor of of the maps, but uh, I really kind of got lucky. I remember you, you, you a bit of a more of a duke or a baron, or a prince, maybe. <laughs> uh, well, we don't really have titles of nobility in the U.S. I'm just a, a humble servant. That's that's uh, around. Yeah, yeah. I just got lucky. Um, seven or eight years ago, all the mm-hmm. star asterisk porn subreddits started. Um, for different topics, they were almost always uh, not sexual. They're, I think, yeah, there's like, they're, the most popular one is called Earth Porn. Mm-hmm. And that's just photos of beautiful places on Earth. Of uh, So, so, so Patrick, I, I, I don't know be like really facetious here, but is there like a, a porn is a suffix, which basically means lots of it and great, basically. Yeah. yeah? You so could is say there that. A, is there a porn porn subreddit? <laughs> Yeah, it is the internet. I know there's a there's one called human porn, mm-hmm. which uh, I don't go there very often. But it's not that one's not sexual either. That one's more for humans doing amazing feats, and uh, I think it's like yoga and bodybuilding and things like that. Like humans mm-hmm. pushing the boundaries of endurance and things like that. All right. So you basically spotted that back in 2011 that there was somewhat of a gap for for people to just like swim in a world of beautifully curated maps. Yes, I think I remember at that time it was actually kind of hard to find a lot of maps online. There weren't a lot of high definition maps. Mm-hmm. I was more of an amateur back then, but I would every once in a while look, go to different universities and libraries, and it was pretty slim to find good maps. So that's kind of why I got the idea to start Map Porn is kind of a collection in a place where everybody can post content and you can find new maps that you've never seen before. Even though it's a place for people to discover new maps and there are some beautiful examples. And I must admit, my fixation with maps is to do with political maps. I want to see 
the way that Germany has changed shape since 1871. That, that to me, <laughs> is, is my porn. I'm not so bothered about topographical maps and things like that and whatever. Um, and there are some beautiful examples, like Andres Kernberg's discovery of those old Ottoman atlases. And, and that's kind of great because we are incredibly fixated in the English-speaking world on this kind of Western view of maps and mapping. So that's kind of like great. And give us some of the highlights, some of the some of the discoveries that Reddit users have actually discovered. Like you mentioned, Anders uh, Kernberg, who's uh, one of the most popular posters on there. Mm-hmm. His uh, username is, I think, he's from Norway. His username is, I think, Pissiguri, which I'm not sure must be Norwegian. Uh, but he works for, I think it's the National Library of Norway. He posts maps pretty frequently. He creates a lot of beautiful maps too. Mm-hmm. And he posted a map from his library. I think it was a European map or a map of Europe, but it was in Ottoman Arabic. There's something really fascinating about places that you know in a foreign language, foreign tongue. People get really excited when they see maps like that. Also, a lot of Soviet maps of, say, USA or England, I see sometimes. So he... Uh, he posted, I think he was posting these maps from this atlas. Some users were talking about it, and he discovered that it was actually this extremely rare Ottoman atlas. I believe it was there was only one printing of it. Library of Congress of the United States uh, had also posted some images from this atlas. He discovered that this was the only atlas, and the Washington Post uh, wrote an article about it, and it kind of made the news. Is he telling mm-hmm. me that, like, Matt Porn basically is a newsmaker. <laughs> it gets in the news sometimes. There was another time uh, a user uh, posted what the longest route on the ocean you could sail that would hold a straight line. Mm-hmm. This is kind of an interesting question. On a map, a straight line, like on a typical Mercator map, it'll actually be curvy because it'll follow the great circle path. Mm-hmm. And uh, a user posted... I believe it was from Pakistan. You could sail in a straight line and end up in uh, on the Kamchatka Peninsula of Russia. And yeah, it sounds very counterintuitive, but it went like just around the Cape of Africa mm-hmm. and uh, Cape of Good Hope, and then mm-hmm. you kind of skim Antarctica, and then you kind of curve back up again through the Pacific. Yes, I don't have that map with me right now, but I, I believe that was the route. Yeah. Sir, I think you'll find it's called a route, but getting the semantics of uh, how you pronounce good old-fashioned English words. So, and I suppose that something like that then sparks up a great debate as to like, well, how how are you working that out and stuff, which is the the meat and potatoes, a a kind of internet debate. Uh, You're asking that... uh... How it how it becomes a debate or well no I I'm presuming that when somebody says something like this that there's 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 always going to be a naysayer somewhere that says oh no you know that can't be the case because of X and Y and Z and you get into those kind of interminable um, internet debates you know where things go backwards and forwards definitely there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of heated discussion on the forum but mm-hmm. uh, I think for something like that. You know, you have to, as Tom Cruise would say, show me the money. Uh, you have to prove your case. If you want to disagree with somebody, well, prove it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, there are, when I think of maps and mapping, as I said, I always default to 
the the world as it is now and you know my superpower is you show me a political map of the world in I don't know the last 500 years and I can kind of accurately tell you give or take a few years either side what date that map represents there are loads of different types of maps aren't there you know that's my wheelhouse and whatever so what are the other kind of popular styles of maps which you've discerned over the uh, over the last years of running map porn i think recently there's been a lot of popularity with comparison maps and mm-hmm. uh, maybe that's not kind of a type of map like a contour map or chloroplast map or a political map but uh just as an example Comparison maps are hugely popular on the subreddit. Mm-hmm. Uh, people compare like the size of Africa to United States. And I think it's because uh, we don't realize how big places are or how small sometimes places are. Mm. So I think, but getting back to the point, maps kind of tell us things that tell us about geography mm-hmm. in a way that we don't understand unless we see it put digitally. And I think it's just endlessly fascinating And I think that's part of the popularity of the subreddit. So controversies, debates, it's all there. What are some of the hottest kind of controversies? Because obviously, you know, in terms of um, comparisons, but, you know, say if I'm Argentinian and then somebody posts a map and it says the Falklands, am I going to get really upset about that? Am I going to become a keyboard warrior? (laughs) That's definitely a touchy topic. Uh, Falklands, uh, Gibraltar can also cause a lot of heat, heated debate. India and Pakistan, actually, we get some pretty nasty comments with maps of India and the, or I kind of understand, but people, I mean, it's the, the level of nastiness is really over the top sometimes in those maps. And usually I have to auto or I have to uh, approve maps of India because it can be, uh, it can you're, be a, you're, like a, you're like a map sensor then. <laughs> it's like uh, like the Catholic Church in the in the, uh, in, the re- in the times of the Renaissance saying, "Oh no, you know you have to you have to." So 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 basically, somebody will post a map, and you'll go, "I know this is going to upset some people. I need to censor this." I actually do not censor very often. Um, I kind of very, I'm very the... often. Patrick means that you have on occasion done exactly that, though. Um. I can't really think of any times I've censored. Um, pretty laissez-faire. And you're you're kinda, a libertine. Libertarian. I kind of lean that way. Sure. Okay. I have the philosophy that we're all adults and people, if they get offended by a map, that's on them um, so, or anything. So I'm, I'm presuming then that a little bit of controversy is going to get clicks and you kind of must really like that then. You know, somebody does a, a Spanish language map that then calls the Falklands the Falklands or the Malvinas the Falklands. Yeah, I've, I've de- denoted my, my leaning on this. You know, you're like, oh, that's going to that's gonna get the Spanish speakers riled up. This is good. Um, I don't really care too much about the clicks. Uh, I don't make money off of this, but I'm not like a, a clickbait journalist. I need to get a lot of clicks to, to feed myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a hobby and uh, I'm not going to shy away from controversy. It's going to happen. But but mapping isn't just a hobby for you because this is your day job, isn't it? So tell yes. us about your day job. And, and I've realized we've gone, what, some, uh, as my brother would say, balls deep into this interview. <laughs> and Patrick, I don't even know who you are. Who are you? <laughs> what okay. do you do? I'm a, a land surveyor. 
I work at an engineering firm in Denver, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is my day job, but uh, I don't think any of the maps I make are very controversial. I'm usually doing kind of plats and easements and uh, boundaries, kind of more really dry, a lot of dry kind of engineering stuff. Yeah, so I created Map Porn. I was living in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what were you doing? Yeah, I was an English teacher in Taiwan, uh, which is a great place. And speaking of controversial maps, I make it a policy that Taiwan is not part of China on <laughs> Map Porn. It's kind of a soft policy. I won't, I wouldn't ban anybody or take down a map, but mm-hmm. my time in Taiwan definitely endeared me to the Taiwanese people, kind of their struggle. And I so think, let me understand uh, what you just yeah. said there. Right, mm-hmm. I've never been to Taiwan. I have a little bit of an idea of the history of the place, but whether I am a card-carrying member of the Communist Party in China, Taiwan is part of China. Whether I am part of the KMT uh, in uh, in Taiwan, it's a part of China. So you are traveling a very narrow path if you declared uh, unilateral independence for Taiwan on your maps <laughs> there, Patrick. So uh, you're in choppy waters, sir. Yes, I, I definitely am. And I, I definitely hear that a lot. Usually I say that Taiwan is not part of the PRC. That's kind mm-hmm. of where I stand. As long as we're on the topic, kind of a map-related China thing. I traveled from Vietnam to China, and I was carrying a Lonely Planet with me. Mm-hmm. And in the front of the Lonely Planet, it kind of shows a map of China. China, I think, was like a dark green, and all the other countries around it are like a gray, just as a kind of a guide in the front. Mm-hmm. And Taiwan was also gray, same color as Korea, Mongolia, everything else. And when I crossed the border, I walked across a bridge over the Hull River. The guard stopped me and found my lonely planet, and he confiscated it. And I, I know a little bit of Chinese, so I, I talked to him, and he told me that it was because of this map in the front of the lonely planet that did not show Taiwan as part of China. And there was nothing I could do. I, you know, I was on my on feet. I couldn't just turn around. So it kind of was a difficult trip because I didn't have that lonely planet. And so, uh, so that's yeah. an example as, as a map, as a subversive instrument. And uh, it shows you the, the, the visceral power of somebody's view of, of the world. I, I can understand uh, why the, the guard did that. But uh, yeah, it left me bitter. <laughs> Maps are a way that governments um, and nations declare what they what is theirs obviously maps can be a very personal thing tell us about some of the more quirky idiosyncratic maps that you've come across on map porn let's see they're one of the most popular maps was uh i believe a guy made for his brother a map of their motorcycle trip they went from i believe it was california up to the tip of alaska the very top Mm -hmm. barrel on motorcycles he made it out of wood and it was a very beautiful map. Maybe I can share it in the show notes. That's kind of a, a personal map. And people do post a lot of personal maps. <laughs> so uh, you kind of raise an interesting point now. At least it sparks something off for me. What is going to excite me about maps isn't necessarily what's going to excite somebody else about maps. So, so I'm quite specific. I like mm-hmm. looking at um, how countries have changed shape 
the fact that Bolivia once had a coastline and it lost a war and it lost its coastline and stuff or um, the growth of the British dominions or the evolution of the empire of Ethiopia. That's my schnizzle, right? <laughs> but if I decide to sign up for map porn tomorrow, what's the secret source of how I get a map to go viral? That's a great question. I get that asked a lot. And I honestly don't think there's a secret to, to going viral. I think it's some of it is skill. If you can make a beautiful map, uh, if you have uh, maybe using auto, uh, Illustrator or Photoshop or a GIS program, mm -hmm. you can try that way. I think one popular thing, subway style maps, those are kind of like, or underground, if I mm -hmm. got it right. Harry Beck made that famous underground map of, of London, mm -hmm. which I'm sure we've all seen. It's a, it's a perfect map in so many, so many ways. It's colorful and the font, and it gives you information perfectly if you're, if you're trying to navigate London. So transit style maps are very popular. Another very popular map was a map of Europe, of the Roman roads in Europe, but mm -hmm. it uses the, the transit map style. That yeah. was a... Uh, if I can say the author, it was uh, Sasha Chubetskoy, who's a Russian, but he lives in America. He makes a lot of kind of transit style maps that are beautiful. I must admit, that map I thought was super clever. Mm. Okay, so let, let, let's start to wrap things up. Yeah, give us your top three hits of your favorite maps on map porn. Go. Okay, that's that's like choosing your favorite child. Okay, I'll give one and then you can give one and we can talk about it. Mm -hmm. uh, my first one will be, there was a map. It was called a topologist map of the contiguous United States. We'll probably have to put a, a link to it in the show notes because it's a little difficult to, ex to explain, but it's just a bunch of shapes. Uh, I, I think it's 48 shapes because mm -hmm. it's supposed to represent the, uh, the lower 48 states. It doesn't look like a map at first. It's kind of like a abstract painting. Once you uh, study the map, you'll understand that the borders on these shapes are the same number of borders that each state has. So it's definitely hard to explain on over uh, audio, but... Uh, Listen, that's the whole beauty of how bonkers <laughs> this podcast is. It's kind of crazy that we're talking about something so inherently visual. But you know what? What you're, what you're saying to people is go to map porn and dig out that map. All right. Now you said, let, let's trade favorite maps. Mm -hmm. If there is one map, which I always use the expression blew my skirt up right? gave me a little bit of excitement where normally i don't feel a little bit of breeze it is the map of the distribution of blonde hair in europe that to me was an utter revelation and i first encountered it must be about two years ago possibly three so to describe it Obviously, there's gradations of the percentage of the population that has blonde hair. And I forget exactly what those gradations are. Obviously, it's going to be like zero to maybe like 5%, 5% to 10, 10 to 20, etc., etc. And even in the most Nordic of countries, you know, blonde hair is going to be in a minority. So maybe it's like 40% um, to 100, whatever is, is the top gradation. Mm -hmm. But on that map, what you could clearly see was, was history. So a couple of examples. You can clearly see the borders of the classic Roman Empire in Europe. And then everywhere southern of that, the preponderance of blonde hair is much less. So you go, oh, my God, there's the Roman Empire. Um, being English, 
what you can clearly see is the Dane law. So where the Vikings invaded Britain some 1200 years ago and their genetic uh, imprint is still there that to the north and east of England, there is more of a preponderance of people with blonde hair because the Vikings obviously were Nordic, which goes all the way back to King Alfred. So we're talking about the 890s and, and the fact that uh, Watling Street, this old Roman road, was the division between where the Danish writ ran and uh, the Kingdom of Wessex was. And th that to me just was amazing. You can still see it on a modern distribution of blonde hair within Europe. Wow. That's, I, I love it when you can take uh, kind of disparate pieces of information and find patterns in them. Another map? Yeah. There's a, a map I posted a while back. It's Charles Lindbergh. He had a great circle map that he, I believe the story goes, he found in a bookshop in California. Uh, he put it on his, you know, his, his bedroom floor and mapped out how he was going to fly mm -hmm. from America to Paris, Be the, how to be the first uh, solo pilot to do that. And you can see his handwritten notes on the map. When the map has handwritten notes by someone famous, that's just like, you can really feel the history. And I think that's something, I know as a kid, I, I would put maps on my bedroom floor and uh, fantasize about places I would go. I think we all have. No, listen, and I think that's part of the enduring appeals of maps, isn't it? Just to fantasize about, like, I want to travel on the old Silk Road, I want to go to Tashkent, and then I want to go to Lhasa in Tibet, because it just sounds so evocative, or Timbuktu in, in Mali, just like mm -hmm. these evocative places that were on old maps and um, have kind of fallen out of... Um, kind of modern currency with the world as we kind of know it now. My last one is, there was a link on Map Porn some time ago to a Mercator kind of anti-distortion map, where basically it allowed you to grab countries and, and move them around. And you saw actually how distorted Greenland actually is and that was just like so much fun <laughs> and so scary in that our perception of the northern reaches of the globe are just like completely and utterly distorted by Mercator you like we know the reason why I'm not going to Mercator bash here but we know <laughs> the reasons why that map works and it works for seafarers but also it kind of works on a cultural uh, basis for people that live north of the equator because it makes all, all of those countries seem bigger. Looking at Map Paul now, and it's trading places, you know, Mexico and Greenland swap places on, on the Mercator projection, and you just see how small Greenland gets when you put it in the place of Mexico, which is obviously closer to the equator, and you move uh, Mexico up to where Greenland is, and it just turns into this massive kind of a strange uh, shape of a country. But Patrick, we, we need to say goodbye to you, sir. Uh, okay. But thank you for coming on to, to, to Map Corner. Tell us, give us again the URL of the subreddit. Uh, it's going to be Map Porn, and that's one word, M-A-P-P-O-R-N dot reddit dot com. Okay. And um, I, I presume you're going to give us a good plug on there uh, when we put this show up, sir. Yes, yes. Fantastic. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm going to go onto Map Porn. I'm going to post some, some of my favorite maps. And I'll I tell you, my, my, my 
favourite book of all time is Muir's Historical Atlas. I cannot speak highly about that book. I'm on my third version of it now. It keeps falling to pieces and stuff. And uh, it will be something I will bequeath to my grandchildren. I will say, look after this because you'll have lots of hours of fun. But also, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give them a link to map porn when they're old enough to understand <laughs> that it's not something mucky and sexual. Yes, yes. Hopefully they understand pretty early on. <laughs> This is Ken of Ken and Jen of Durham, North Carolina at 35 degrees, 59.366 minutes north, 78 degrees, 54.903 minutes west, or actually a bit farther north since those are the coordinates of our front door and I'm sitting here on our back porch. 35, 59 point whatever, almost at the 36th parallel, which Durham lies astride. I walk across that line every morning en route to work. I've watched the latitude flip on my handheld GPS receiver as I've done that walk. Where I cross the 36 is right along the ridge line separating the Cape Fear and Noose River watersheds, the geographical feature responsible for my adopted hometown's existence. You see, back in the days of wood-fired locomotives, a train couldn't make the journey between the towns of Raleigh and Hillsborough without stopping to make, take on more wood and water. North Carolina Railroad Company came looking for a spot to build a train station in this area, and while one local landowner was asking for a lot of money, another, a young doctor named Bart Durham, figured if he gave a little land for a train station, the land around it would become worth a lot more, and so it was. And Durham Station was born. It's a young city, incorporated in 1869, a city that grew famous around its gold leaf tobacco, though the last tobacco factory closed in 1986 and the old American tobacco plant is now a red brick campus of offices and shops, condos and pubs. It's a research-driven city now, centered around Duke University, full of tech startups. And yet, it's the relatively low-rent corner of the so-called research triangle, Durham, Raleigh, Chapel Hill. To make a Bay Area comparison, we're the Oakland of the research triangle. Raleigh is the San Francisco, big towers, big business. Chapel Hill is the Berkeley, progressive but posh with its public Ivy University. But it's Durham that's the most progressive. Majority minority, the darkest blue of this blue island in political terms. It's the one part of this region that reminds me of my native Cleveland. Grungy, funky, a worn out town of red brick warehouses and factories seeking new life. And yet, here, Overlooking my back garden, it's also the land whose natural history I've embraced. Flocks blooming purple, a spreading floral carpet between tall white oak and American elm. Cardinals flit about the mulberry and the understory, red and raucous. Soon the catbirds will return, solid gray but truly lovely and wonderful mimics its song. And soon my native garden will bloom in celandine poppy, dwarf iris, wild columbine. Hard to believe I'm just half a mile from downtown. This is the land that I love. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. 
That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I absolutely adored that audio postcard from Ken. Quite simply, tell us about somewhere that you love. Give us a real sense of the of the sights, uh, the smells, the people that live there, and maybe how it relates to the world of geography and to mapping as well. It can be absolutely anywhere. It can be somewhere you've been on holiday or maybe where you're about to go on holiday. Maybe it's about Perth in Australia, over on the western end of that dry continent. Go on to mapcorner.space, talk for a couple of minutes or so, and we'll put your audio postcard up on map corner. Claire, it's now time for listener calls. Um, Who should we go for first? Well, I'm going to first say that I I reiterate my wish to be adopted by Ken and Jen because they just sound lovely. (laughs) I think it was a a lovely, a lovely call. Uh, So our first listener call this time is from Cynthia. Okay. This is Cynthia 35, which actually is a number in question. And part of the reason why I'm calling, calling from San Francisco, California. Really digging your show so far. Thank you. So my questions are actually twofold. The first one is that it would be 35 for me if you assumed the current borders of the countries I've traveled in. However, a couple of those places have since split up into multiple borders and countries Yugoslavia and Czechoslovakia when I traveled in the late 80s were two separate countries and now they total seven altogether. So which number am I using? I used the current borders. And then I have another question too because traveling places like Puerto Rico, which is a colony of the United States, although it's called a commonwealth, I count that because it's got a distinct culture flag language. And also traveling in Bermuda which is, I believe, a commonwealth of Great Britain. I counted that one too. So I'd like to know what your take is on that. So both things. Which borders are we using? The ones from the time of travel or the current ones? And are we counting territories, commonwealths, colonies, etc.? I look forward to your answers. Thank you. What do you reckon, Claire? What, what would be your definition of working out what number you are? Okay, so I'm ready to make a ruling on this, which is... Oh, wait a minute. So you're not going to even run this by me? No, no. You know, naturally, you're going (laughs) to... Right. 
potentially this could be our first beef on air. But go on, let's hear what you've got to say. Okay, so my suggestion is that you should count it at the point when you've been there. If it was a country mm. when you were there, it counts. Um, mm. And I think independent countries count. And I'm not entirely sure I stand on kind of colonies and dependencies because I think a lot of those do have their own identity. and flag. I think it's got its own flag on the whole. And some kind of legislature, I'm thinking mm. that counts. Uh, you're wrong and right. Now, I'm pulling rank here. Hopefully, I'm not going to mansplain. I don't want any emails or whatever coming to me and say, you pushed our Claire to one side for misogynistic reasons. But this is what I'm saying. And then we can argue this out, Asprey. Number one, I think when you went there, the borders are sacrosanct. So I've been to uh, Belarus and I've been to Latvia. I'm not going to say I've been to the Soviet Union. I, I went when those places were independent. So you have. So I agree with you there. Whatever the borders were when you went, that's where you went. Absolutely. Right? Because otherwise, you get into weird territory, and you could say, "Well, I've been to the Kingdom of Wessex." Well, no, Wessex hasn't existed for over a thousand plus years. Exactly. You really need to sort out that chest of yours, you know. Well, I've taken some medicine. I'm doing my best. Okay, don't expire on us. No, we don't want the first death on a podcast. <laughs> so I think. Whenever you went, whatever the borders were, that's that. That's where we concur. However, I think as somebody who has been to the Isle of Man, a crown dependency of the United Kingdom, it's not a country. And quite simply, I think the rule should be, does it have a seat in the UN? Do the world recognise it as being an independent country? Now, I know if we have two or three Taiwanese listeners, they're going to get upset. But I say... To Taiwan, and if you are from Transdenistra or South Ossetia and those, dare I say, weird and wonderful places that only one or two countries recognise, like North Cyprus. Sorry, it's tough. If the United Nations recognise you as being an independent country, you have a seat there. I'm saying it's a country. Disagree with me, Asprey? Well, I mean, you make a good point. I'm willing to fall in behind that. With the, with well, country, what more have you got co- to say? If you agree, what more is, there is to there, say? Is there a difference between what the Olympic Committee considers a country and what the UN considers as a country? I think so, because they've had weird and wonderful things like uh, the organisation. When the USSR collapped, it was a, uh, the something of Commonwealth states were what they were called. Oh, that's right. So yeah. The Olympics have this weird and wonderful catch-all, but I'm saying the UN. So forget the Olympic Committee, because also you could look at UEFA or FIFA and Gibraltar competes in UEFA, which is uh, the European Football Association, as a country. The Faroe Islands do. Now, Gibraltar is not a country. It's a place and it might be really wonderful to go to Gibraltar and ditto the Faroe Islands, but they don't have a seat at the United Nations. So I'm going for the highest body of world governance, the UN. I'm saying if they say it's a country, it's a country. Yeah, I'll give you that. I think, you know, if you're going to have to fall back on some kind of international place, you might as well fall back on the UN because that's pretty definitive. There you go. So, Cynthia, I'm not quite sure what that does to your number, but that is the ruling. And from here on in, you don't get on the show if you make a call unless you say, right, my name's Fred. And I'm a 15 
and whatever. And you can back that up by knowing that the UN recognises where you've been as a country. Otherwise, we're blackboarding you and we won't even let you listen to the podcast. You're being very there's harsh no, today. No you know what it is? I've had five bottomless mimosas this morning and I'm feeling a, a little bit combative. <laughs> I don't know what's done to my brain, but I've, I've come out swinging. Uh, should we go to Kerry next, shall we? If you like, yeah, why not? All right, I, I, I do. Hello, I see I've only got two minutes for this, so i better make it quick. Uh, this is Kerry Davis. Uh, I'm an 18. And I understand Barb from Canada had a question about how the grid references on an ordnance survey map work. I've got in front of me the um, 1 to 25,000 outdoor leisure map one of um, the Dark Peak, the Peak District in Britain. And I'm looking at um, a little arrow for a mountain rescue kit. Now, this map is divided into squares. And they're numbered along the top and they're numbered up the, uh, up the edge as well. And uh, the ones across the, the top, um, vertical lines going from left to right, are called eastings because they head in the direction east. And the ones going up the map, they're horizontal lines, um, going north, called northings. And I can see that if I do the eastings first, I can see that this mountain rescue kit is in a square, 0588. You do the Eastings first because E comes before N. That's how I remember it in the alphabet. And what I can then do, I can either estimate or I can measure what proportion um, of the square that object actually falls in. So um, I've got the 05 and then I can go... It's three-tenths between the 05 and the 06. So that's 053. And then for the northings, it's 88. And I can see it's one-tenth of the way between 88 and 89. So it's 053881. Oh, there you go. Uh, Cut uh, off. Uh, uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, great answer. We need a proper sign-off, don't we? So we don't we don't leave our listeners with like a, a pause for a second. We go, oh, right, uh, that listener's over. What should what should our sign-off be, Claire? Oh gosh, I don't know. You've stumped me there. Well, let's think on. Yeah. So if you're listening out there and you go, you know what, dude, do that. This is how map call- callers should actually sign off. Why don't you send us an email? Go on to contact on mapcorner.space and say, this is how you should sign off. And then you don't, then you're not left with a pregnant pause for a second or so before Claire and Roy will scramble to go, oh, right, that, that's the end of that. Because Kerry, uh, you left us hanging there. So, uh, I tell you, what, for, a, for a guy who's had a nice laid back morning, you aren't making up a lot of rules today. <laughs> you know what? Rules are fun, Claire. I, I, I really believe. I see myself somewhat as a laissez-faire type of person, that anything goes. But you know what? When somebody puts you in a corner, so to speak, and says, this is the way that you should act or behave, right? That's where most fun uh, emanates from. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, Not necessarily. Uh, I'm a pretty, you know, conventional, boring sort of person, but I'm finding that really quite restrictive. Mm. Where's the room for creativity? But now there's creativity when you know exactly where the edge of the canvas is. Mm. The best thing about doing art as, as, um, as a teenager wasn't when the teacher said, do whatever you want. They said, within these strictures, this is what you can do. 
then you got true creativity. Just saying. Now, on that note, whilst you ponder on that, Kerry Davis, he sounds Welsh to me. We had Cynthia, who sounded American. We've got Mary, who I know is in Toronto in Canada. So we'd be striding the globe as always. This is her call. Hello, Royfield and Claire. My name is Mary. I'm not contrary on Twitter. And I've been to 21 countries or a few more than that, if you count the separate nations of the United Kingdom. I love maps and I think I was hooked not dissimilar to Royfield by looking through old atlases at various elderly relatives' houses and just fascinated by how the way countries are represented changed over time and the different layers and perspectives put onto those regions. I enjoyed Royfield's uh, sort of observations from vantage points that he's been to. Um, the one about Burloak Drive in Ontario was interesting for me. Uh, the observation about straight lines um, in settler societies, which is true. You could also make the same argument for the Romans who settled and conquered uh, in England um, and many other parts of Europe. And I think it's interesting um, that even in settler societies, there was still um, co-opting of existing uh, infrastructures and and roadways. Um, I live in Toronto in Canada And for the first peoples living here, the most important ways to get around were the waterways. That's what they really cared about. And in fact, uh, to get between the waterways, they used what are known as portaging trails, uh, where you would carry your canoe between the bodies of water. And whenever you're in Toronto and you find a road that's not a straight line, it's quite often on top of an old portage trail, as is seen in Davenport Road, which is up the road from me. Um, okay, great podcast. I would love to see a discussion of topological maps and perhaps exclaves and enclaves. So Ooh. those are for your consideration. Thank you and bye. A um, couple of really interesting points there. Uh, do you want to dive in first? Because I've got something I want to uh, uh, blather right. on Right, well, uh, well, it put me in mind of when I used to work in Litchfield in Staffordshire mm-hmm. and um, I lived in Derby and I would drive down the A38. Oh, I'm so sorry for you. It was all right. It was going past Burton-on-Trent and the smell of Marmite that did it for me. I wasn't a big fan of Marmite. so. Uh, <laughs> um, I also thought when you go in the A38 and you go past Burton-on-Trent, it's well, hops. It's the breweries. It? Like, they, it's the breweries, brew yes. They, yeah. So the, the Marmite is a kind of uh, side product from the beer because it's to do with the yeast. Um, but I, you know, you know what they say. You either hate, love it or you hate it. And I'm, not, I'm not a fan of Marmite, but the, the smell would waft across the dual carriageway. Um, I'm, I, I'm really getting a real sense that the reason why I'm going to say that we work as a, a podcasting partnership. Yeah, yeah. So I've got the word in there, right? Is because we are so completely as and utterly complimentary. You mean that we are Eyes nothing black, like each other? White. <laughs> Marmite. I love the stuff. Well, there you go. Maybe, maybe that's why this works. Anyway, maybe this works. But can I get back to my anecdote? Break. So basically, yeah. The, I hope it's going to be a good one. Well, you're building it up a bit now. But anyway, there's a piece of road where the bit that goes past Burton on Trent and the village of Orlworth mm. on down down towards Staffordshire um, is actually built over the old Roman road, the Watling Way. The trouble with that is that in lots of other places, lots of those Roman roads continue to exist, like large stretches of the A5, for example, and, and things like that. But 
usually there's a new road that's come along, you know, and a bypass or a dual carriageway has been built or an alternative. And if anything ever went wrong mm. on that stretch of road, there was nothing else. <laughs> like all, cause the most historic back road was the same as the dual carriageway we were already on. So it was it was always a complete nightmare if something happened on that bit of road there. There just wasn't an alternative, and that's quite unusual because lots of the other stretches of Roman roads, they're still there, but that you'll find that they're kind of mm. a little bit of a back road these days, and then some brand new high, you know, highway's been built sort of you know, comparatively parallel to it or nearby. But there are still quite stretches, and that's one of them, where uh, you know every road just over you know, overtook on the old one, and gradually they sort of became bigger and bigger main roads. But they're still basically following the exact line, and it's very very straight that that section, and you can see where it was an old Roman road with mm. uh, resulting traffic chaos if anything happens to it, because that's the only way to get from one end to the other. There you go. And by the magic of Matt Caller calls into the show and my interview with uh, with Patrick, there's a big link there. And there is a wonderful map, which is one of the most popular maps on map porn, which is the tube map, as we understand it, or the subway or metro map. That kind of graphic sensibility transposed over the Roman road network in, in Western Europe. Yeah, that's a great map. And yeah, it's a, a phenomenally clever map and just lends itself so so brilliantly to, to both kind of like disciplines to look at the the straight roman roads and then also to uh, to metro maps which everybody has a, a liking for uh, the other thing um which i've always been it's always kind of in part rankled with me i've been surprised about is place names in northern america as opposed to the the more latin bits of the american continent and here's my reason why there's a real sense that when I'm in the United States, people say all the time that the original sin of the United States is slavery. And as a person of colour, as, as a black person, I say, but no, it's, a, it's the Native Americans being dispossessed of the land which they saw as communal is the original sin. Slavery is the second sin. And that might be somewhat of a pedantic point. But I shouldn't think it's pedantic to the Native Americans. Absolutely. But in terms of... Um, historic wrongs and having recognition for them, there is a sense in the United States that its sin is what it did to black Africans and the mass genocide of witting and unwitting of Native Americans is very secondary to that. But you look at a map of America and Native American place names are everywhere but they don't have a powerful resonance. So Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Connecticut, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Massachusetts, all of these feel like very English words, but they're all mm. Native American. So there is, uh, when you scratch the surface, a recognition that if, if you're in the state of Alabama, there was an Indian tribe called the, the Alabama who were native to that area, but it doesn't at all get recognised. And I find that it's really quite sad. But even though Western Europeans wiped the land completely away from the native peoples, they displaced them, they died through illness and through forced movements and through military engagements, they still name that land after them and i find that absolutely fascinating that there isn't more recognition of that considering michigan is not 
an English or a European word, or neither is Mississippi or Missouri or Nebraska, but they've become so because we disassociate it from the people mm-hmm. that were there before. Very true. There's me, I'm me a hobby horse about, about the native peoples of, of, of North America. Right, so thank you for that, Mary. Uh, now it's Alison. Hi. Um, yeah, my love of maps really was sparked when I was at secondary school, actually, doing geography. And we had a fabulous Collins Longman Atlas. Um, this is back in the 1980s. Um and I've still got it, uh, but it would show you there were various different maps of the UK, but also the world. Um, and it would show things like um, the industries, transport, geology, climate and weather. Um, and it was through that that I really learned that maps can, you know, on the page, open up a whole, a whole world, the whole of the world to you and be really educational and really um, spark your interest. Um and I just wondered what happened, you know, if schools still use maps in the same way now, um, how relevant maps still are, or if it's all um, much more digitally based rather than paper based. Um, it would be sad to think that they've lost the paper base because actually I think there's there's something about the tangible world being in your hand, um, which is really lovely. Again, <laughs> we need a sign up, don't we, Claire? Um, I'm, I'm handing over to you because I think you, you've got the answer on, on, on this. Well, I have a very intermediate short answer, which we've had from um, Elaine Anderson, who's head of publishing at the Geographical Association. Um, and she says, basically, yes, there's still a lot of print atlases in use in schools for teaching and reference. So I'm hoping we might get a longer answer from them. In the meantime, uh, the short answer is yes, although... I noticed that my daughter seems to have been watching animated cartoons in geography of late. It's something to do with flora and fauna of the British countryside or something. I'm not quite sure how they made that relevant, but there you go. You've got to get those kids in any way you can. And um, I guess if you can get them in by watching a cartoon, then so be it. But um, it'd be nice to think that they were also looking at some maps. To link this back to Mary's call... Uh, because I'm just going to um, neatly segue onto the next section, which is stuff that people have posted on social media, right? And then then I'm in your hands. But I know if I don't say this now, I'm going to forget. Because I'll just say in trance, when you speak, Asprey, I'll just get lost. I'll get, I'll get lost in, in the way that you picture the world, right? So I'm going to go first, and then I'm just going to just like float away. Somewhere. Right, I posted a map on Facebook, which is the growth of American density. And it's a beautiful thing just to look at. So it's animated. It's each county of the United States. And depending on what the population density was from, I think it starts like 1790 something or another. And it goes up to to the modern day, to the last census. These little blocks of the counties are either coloured from a a shade of beige to uh, a dark brown, dark brown denoting high density. And you can just look at it and it's fascinating. It's mesmerizing. And one of the comments was, it looks like a, a, a zombie host infection, which um, some people say that's exactly what it is. So it starts from the eastern seaboard of the United States and you see these blotches of brown because, of course, that's where the English and European settlers first came. And then slowly but surely, these other bits of America 
become different shades of beige. They turn from white to beige as um, European, primarily European uh, populations kind of like take over, which then led to more than one person saying, I don't like this map because it doesn't denote the fact that uh, non-Europeans were there and that's definitely what laura jackson said she said this map represents the dominant narrative that north americans that north america was empty before it was discovered in parentheses by europeans this map shows migration of white european people across what is now the u.s there were indigenous peoples people from africa the caribbean islands and mexico throughout this era during the periods shown and that's what i thought when i first saw it but as a document showing the settled, shall we say, population of the United States. It's um, incredibly valid, interesting. And there are weird things that you see, like the state of Oklahoma kind of gets filled in around it. And that goes back to Laura Jackson's point, because Oklahoma was the territory for native peoples. So the American government didn't really bother to count the people within the territory of Oklahoma before it came a state. They were having some kind of head count, but it wasn't settled in, into counties. Um, I really recommend people go onto Facebook, look at the growth of American density map, because it is one part fascinating, one point controversial, another point, um, I use the word racist in parentheses, but to say that settled Americans were American and any other type of American native or whatever weren't and stuff so it, it is a zombie infection it's also a very good and clever document of the rise of settled yeah. america too right so i've led you to the point in the show where we talk about stuff on social media now i'm in your thrall okay so our facebook community continues to grow so that's really good to see and um this last sort of couple of weeks or so we've had Quite a lot of British maps um, posted there, and a number of discussions around that. So, uh, including the uh, the old stalwart, which was uh, how people describe a bread roll uh, around different parts of the country. So, I wasn't entirely sure was accurate because they missed out BAP in, in the version that I saw. I'm sure there's what? one that does circulate with that in. Um, it was always a BAP when I was a kid growing mm. up uh, further west. Uh, not so much these days because I'm back sort of more in the southeast and. Uh, I'm back on bread rolls now, but I, I did. You know, I did go to university in York, where uh, it was a cob. I don't know if this works in other countries as well. Do they have different names for the same thing all over different countries? And that's before we even get to the scone scone dichotomy. So on the bread roll, there's a lot more diversity. Um, also, we had the uh, the map around identifying where people with your surname are, mm. uh, which is always a bit of fun very uh, excited personally to see that uh, my daughter's about the only at here in the country uh, so she'll have her own data set when she's old enough to be on records so uh, and very unique so uh, she'll have a very special surname which is very unusual which did, is uh, quite an interesting one did you map asbury 
I did map Asprey, but unsurprisingly, uh, they sort of radiate from the the, the village of Asprey in Cheshire, uh, uh, which I've never been to. Although I I was nearby recently, and I thought, oh, perhaps we'll just take a diversion and just go to Asprey. Um, one day I will. Uh, in fact, you could, my, my aunt used to have a tea towel from the church there with a picture <laughs> of the church, and it said Asprey. Uh, although she was a wiggle by then. Um, she she married a wiggle, but uh, yeah, there were some really interesting people sort of mapping where where their names were coming from, mm-hmm. and uh, and and I think the data sets that sit behind that must be quite a thing to crunch. So there's some quite impressive kind of public data available there. Mm. Do you think if you ever went to the village of Asbury, it'd be like a? Don't know how old you are, Claire, but do you remember Roots? Do you know when um, <laughs> Alex Haley goes back to Africa? And like he falls to the ground and whatever, or like oh Pope, Pope John the Second, you know, whatever he goes somewhere, like would kiss the tarmac, no, get up. But, I don't, I don't do really that? have an emotional connection to Cheshire, to be honest. I don't, I don't think, I don't think any of my family who live there. Well, I mean, I thought, I'm interested to go there, but um, but not interested you know, enough by the sounds of it. Not interested enough to take a twenty mile diversion. <laughs> I'm I'm worried about your soul, really. There's no romance there, is there, Claire? Oh, that's not very fair. So my maternal grandmother's surname was Duffus. So I didn't bother to map Brown because what's the point of that? They're going to be everywhere. On my maternal family's side, my, so it's Callum, which I That's did That's very map. Scottish. Uh-huh. And then Duffus, which is also very Scottish. My grandfather, he said that part of our family genus was that we were Maroons. Now, Maroons were the the mixture of Spanish African slaves on the island of Jamaica, who, when the Spanish um, retreated, when the when uh, the British under the English, sorry, under Oliver Cromwell, took the island in the 1660s, they ran into the hinterland of Jamaica, and with the remaining Native American population, uh, they commingled, shall we say. And the Maroons have this really semi-mythical warrior status on the island of Jamaica. Very small numbers, but they were never conquered by the British. And they uh, famously had a treaty in the 18th century with the British uh, state, the British colony, whereby their leader, Nanny, who was a woman, uh, was given preferential status as a people that were never conquered by the British. Mm. And so when my grandfather says, we are part Maroon, um, I, I kind of rolled my eye and went, bullshit. It's like saying you're part Spartan. It's like you're a <laughs> badass. <laughs> and I went, yeah, right, really? <laughs> Granddad was telling the truth. Um, we did a 23andMe DNA test, and I'm 1% Native American. And the only thing that could be is that I'm, you know, in part maroon. So, uh, Granddad, who's up in heaven, I'm sorry for ever doubting you. So is but there a line hear, between maroon and brown, or is that just like well, convenient put, uh, translations? Well, I'm I'm guessing that the maroon bit is what Granddad said, which is the Callum bit. But right. then the other bit of our family genus was this Duffus. Any Duffus on planet Earth, according to the interwebs, is descended from King Macduff, who I get slightly confused, right? But I think he's either son or grandson of Macbeth. And this website clearly tells you, if you are a Duffus or descended from a Duffus, you are descended from Macduff, who was a king of Scotland for only about two or three years in 
the 10th century. He didn't last long. And there is a parish up in the northeast of Scotland called Duffus. So when I then mapped the Duffus name, of course, it was the northeast of Scotland. We, we've fallen down the rungs of, of humanity. Oh, I was about to suggest that I need to curtsy every time I talk to you now if you're oh, descended well. from royalty. <laughs> Claire, right. If you, go, if you have to go back 10 centuries to claim kingship right <laughs> yeah we all, can all do all that all of us can <laughs> oh exactly exactly it's just that there is a clear line with my family and at some point um, in the 18th century uh, one part of the duffers family white scots go to jamaica to become planters and actually have slaves as is the way back then slaveholders had their way with the slave women cousin of mine went back and discovered this that there was a forebear of ours who was born a slave in 1830. 1832, the British Empire abolishes slavery. Mm. And by the time that he dies, he has property. So we suspect that he was acknowledged by the slave owner of actually being his, because his mother was Creole. That's the thing. The father is, is not there on the birth certificate. That by the time he dies in the 1890s, he has property. And, and quite often what happened back then was the slave owner would tacitly acknowledge that he had a bastard or illegitimate child with a slave and when he died would give them some level of property and we suspect that's what's happened there he was a duffus so it'd be really interesting to try and find a map not only of english place names or let's say british place names in the british isles but also where they migrated to as well so I challenge you, if you're smart and you're sat on some data sets and you're pretty good at doing animation, uh, make that happen, because I would love to see that. And, and I say that map really underlined my family story and, uh, and kind of brought it to life. Yeah. And interestingly enough, I, um, I also looked up Keech, which is my grandparents, my maternal grandparents. And, uh, and I sit right in the epicentre of all the Keeches by the, by the looks of it. And uh, that kind of reinforces the fact that my, my grandma tried to do some family tree work uh, probably oh, 30 odd years ago. I think she managed to go back about 300 years just in our local parish church. And then they'd moved from a parish a couple of couple of parishes, a couple of villages along. Uh, and then she found another couple of hundred years with the records there. So she'd have to do a lot of searching. Uh, they hadn't gone very far. Clearly, uh, Keech is very, very much uh, around uh, this part of the world in sort of, bed, sort of between Northamptonshire and Cambridgeshire, really. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of them. But I'm doing my Good. bit to expand the gene pool by, uh, you know, going somewhere completely <laughs> different uh, and, and sort of, you know, moving that around a bit so that, you know, we're all a little bit more interesting in the future. Well, thank you. On behalf of humanity, <laughs> I thank you, Claire. <laughs> Is there anything else on, more on the socials you want to comment on? Right, yes. So the other couple of things I've picked up on the on the Facebook was... Well, another map, and this actually is from the Reddit map porn site around, a couple of those actually around, what happens if you type something into Google? What does it try mm. to autocomplete? Um, now, I've tested this a bit because uh, I think 
I think it did say Bedfordshire is boring, actually, um, from from my local one. But interestingly enough, I tested this today and it came up with Bedfordshire is in which region, um, which I thought was brilliant because uh, it's it's quite the joke. Uh, if you listen to the Mark Steele's in town episode from Bedford, which uh, I was a big fan of and was there for the recording mm. of, actually. Uh, the running joke was no one can exactly say where it is. Uh, so uh, be interesting. I take that one with a pinch of salt, but uh, also got quite a bit of traffic on the other map, which is around which is the best selling recording artist from each oh, county yes. in Britain. So that was quite fun, although I did have to feel sorry for Rutland because they didn't appear to have anybody at all. And then I did do a bit of research and I couldn't really find anyone famous from Rutland who'd worked in the music industry except a guy called Sam Carter, who I'd also never heard of. Maybe there just isn't anyone famous who's come from Rutland and had a musical career. Uh, so, you know, they, they ought to look lively. I know it's a tiny county, but, you know, they could at least make a bit of an effort there. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know loads about Rutland other than, wasn't it historically always the smallest county in England? And then when the reorganisation of English counties took place in 1974, when fundamentally metropolitan counties were created. The... Oh, you've hit a very strong theme of local Ooh, government reorganisation yeah, you know chat what? here. You could be letting yourself in for a long, a long well, conversation. You know That's the great thing about a podcast. There is no <laughs> official length. Sorry. So 1974. <laughs> Uh, the boundaries of English counties are rationalised. And, and, the, and the biggest kind of significant change really is less to do with rural, but more to do with metropolitan. So you had places like uh, Birmingham, Wolverhampton, Coventry, which bestrode three counties, but were a metropolitan uh, conurbation. You know, all the houses were contiguous. Ditto Greater Manchester, Liverpool in Merseyside, uh, and then like Leeds and stuff. And basically the geographers drew a line around the houses and said, Birmingham, Wolverhampton, Coventry operate as a unit. You know, people do travel from Wolverhampton to Birmingham to work, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to create a new county, the West Midlands. And that's kind of like the biggest thing in 1974. But one of the other things is that a couple of counties were done away with, a few counties, shall we say, and Rutland was one of them. And it became part of Leicestershire, didn't it? I think and so, then, yeah. In a very un-British-like way, the people of Rutland petitioned and petitioned and petitioned uh, the, the authorities. And basically, and I think, I think it was like the late 90s, they were granted status as a county again. Uh, because of their whinging and moaning. And uh, so the smallest county in England is actually back on the map. Uh, which bit of that was wrong? Because that's all off the top of my head. <laughs> no, that all sounds about right. I mean, I'm interested to know, though, when, when all the metropolitan counties were mm. set up, how come Birmingham got to be so enormous? Because Birmingham's like the largest local authority in Europe, I think. It's it's just enormous. And if you look at Manchester, it's actually, you know, the, the Manchester urban area is broadly made up of about eight you know, metropolitan unitary authorities, which of which Manchester is one, but by no means the biggest or or the kind of most dominant one in in the sense of size. Um, and it's really interesting how some of those boundaries were drawn. Mm. I don't know if you know anything about why well, Birmingham was just so. Enormous. I I know a little, right? and you are right that in terms of British authorities. 
which are municipal. Birmingham is literally twice the size as the next biggest one. And the big anomaly in all of this is actually London, because the way that London is Mm -hmm. um, divided up, is governed, sorry, is I think there's 36 London boroughs. It's something. It's some thirty-three. It's something in that region. It's mid thirties. It's mid thirties anyway. So, though we all think of London as being um, one place, which has, depending on how you want to measure it, seven million people, eight million people, however you want to measure it, right? We have an idea what London is. As far as um, governance, if you take out uh, the new mayor of London and stuff, which is only a relatively recent thing of like 15, 16 years, not even 20 years since we've been voting for a Greater London Authority and with, with the mayor, actually the biggest unit in the United Kingdom is Birmingham. And Birmingham is over 1 yeah. million. And then the next biggest is probably like Leeds, which is like 700,000 or in that region. And Manchester, though lots of people think of it and arguably would say that culturally it's the second most important place in the United Kingdom. It's only like half a million. So there are a few anomalies with, with Birmingham. And in 1974, the royal town of Sutton Coalfield was added. Well, I've been to Sutton Coalfield because I used to live in Lichfield. So oh, of course, that that's was very close by. Why didn't you ever come round to yeah, my yeah. mum and dad's for a cup of tea? <laughs> well, as it happens... I didn't know they were there. I used to go into Birmingham every week, every Wednesday. Every Wednesday evening, I was in Birmingham. I drove from Lichfield to Birmingham. Really? What were you so, doing there uh, on Wednesday? I was dancing on a Wednesday. I bet it was salsa, wasn't it? It was flamenco. Oh, you know what? As soon as I said salsa, I thought, no, you knobhead. It's going to be flamenco because you lived in Spain. <laughs> You've got such a history to tell, really. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have to map out. Oh, you see, you say I've got no romance. What do you say? I mean, like, how can you say that? Uh... Just because I have a practical streak. That is true, Claire. That is true. Maybe I over-egged the pudding by saying that there there is something slightly dead with your soul. Right. You know, you can flamenco. <laughs> right. But anyway, getting back onto the city of Birmingham. The city of Birmingham, yes. in terms of its growth as an authority, is actually been quite quick. Uh, you look at a map of the city of Birmingham, what was called the city of Birmingham, uh, around about the 1830s, it was very small. As the, the houses grew out of uh, what the Americans would call the downtown, as we would call the centre of the city, they kept on drawing lines around it and stuff. So somewhere like Aston, as in Aston Villa, the football team, only became part of the city of Birmingham um, in like the 1890s. Uh, you know, that was its own own polity it was its own place mm-hmm. as recently as just over 100 years ago. And, and it served very, a very similar kind of um, relationship as Salford does with Manchester. Salford is, the city of Salford literally goes right into the centre of the city of Manchester, but is this other place. But in Birmingham, they rationalised that because that was the same thing as Aston. And went, no, 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 Aston is part of Birmingham. So if Salford is truly part of Manchester, then Manchester becomes a much bigger place and is actually then on a par. With, with with the city of Birmingham in terms of kind of yeah. population and why that why that happened in Birmingham with Aston but not with Salford and Manchester heaven only knows and stuff heaven only knows no well there's a, there's a theory in the world of local government that Ooh. one of the reasons why Manchester's been a leader on the on the devolution front in terms mm. of kind of joint combined authority work is that there is no obvious main place that, that there are you know, quite a number of similarly sized authorities who are never 
you know too much junior to any of the others and that's helped with the partnership working which isn't true in some of the other locations where they've been trying to get devolution deals <coughs> i'm really worried about that cough of yours <laughs> i'll try my best to stay alive uh so uh, yeah just a, a call out for neil summer mm-hmm. who scored uh seven out of ten on that quiz about uh, density in cities around the world uh which was really hard um and uh Many people didn't score anything at all. So uh, I think he definitely wins a, a star uh, this week. And uh, also you posted a really difficult quiz, which was this GeoGuessr quiz, where you oh. see a picture of somewhere mm. in the world, you've got to guess where it is. Oh, my God, mm. that was hard. Um, Claire. There, did you get anywhere near thing. any of those? Yes. Yeah. It, look, it sounds braggadocio to say that I'm pretty good at GeoGuessr, but... There are some people who are ninjas at GeoGuessr and we should try and get one of them on the show. Funny enough, he's a Brummy as well. I forget his name. If you type in GeoGuessr into YouTube, you get people playing it and recording it and you see their thought process, which is really, really instructive as how you should do it. Go onto YouTube. You'll have hours of fun listening to some nerd somewhere tell you the reason why he thinks he is where he or she are you know it's just it's genius and so there's a guy from birmingham who's right well he always gets it within yards i'm going to be 17 hours on a plane next week so uh, that's something to keep me occupied well let's hope there's wi-fi on the plane claire because if there isn't you won't be doing that no fair enough have we got any more on the socials or can we start okay so it was a quiet time on the map corner hashtag on twitter but i will make a mention of my map of the episode which was from Alison mm-hmm. she was sharing a map that she got from uh, Simon Kustemacher who was our obviously friend of the show mm-hmm. <gasps> I know I know what you're going to say <laughs> I know what you're going to say so uh, he's got a photo of a manhole cover in Oklahoma City and all of the manhole covers have a map of the city on them and a dot on it to show you exactly where you are in the city on the map I just love this. This is like building maps into city infrastructure, and I think everywhere should do it. I love it. I I, I don't know how expensive it must be to do. I'm guessing that the dots go on separately because I can't possibly cast a different manhole model for each manhole that they have. There must be a standard manhole design. (laughs) They then add the dot on later. What a brilliant way of getting around a city. So you know exactly where you are because you can trace yourself on the manholes. I just love that. Although obviously you don't want to be wandering around in the road too much looking at the floor. I guess you might run the risk of being run Mm. over. That was so simple, evocative, quirky, interesting. Just just bloody nice, wasn't it? I saw that and it was like... It's so simple to just... You've got to cast a manhole anyway. Do something useful and interesting Mm. and beautiful with the casting. And what can be more beautiful than a map? What a perfect way to end. Do you want to wrap this up? Tell people where they can contact us and how they can contribute to the show because I've got more drinks to have in Oakland, California. (laughs) Right, well, uh, apologies for intruding on your uh, chill-out time. Uh, So uh, you can join the Map Corner uh, community on Facebook. Send us a group request and we will include you. Everyone's very welcome. Uh, You can tweet to the hashtag map corner and we'll pick it up from there if you want to share us a uh, a map that way i'm at claire j astbury on twitter you're at royfield on twitter and Mm -hmm. we have a website which is mapcorner.space 
yeah, that's just about it. And we will be including uh, copious show notes from here on in on uh, the web pages of each episode on Map Corner. That's uh, it's goodbye from me. Uh, it's a good day from you because you're about to go. Down, <laughs> Hopefully so. Bye bye. Bye. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.